Thank you, Father, for this song based upon a psalm that was written 3,000 years ago. For the beauty of the picture painted, you as our shepherd protecting us, your sheep. Sheep in need of a shepherd and the shepherd freely given, Jesus Christ. And surely goodness and mercy will follow us. So may we bless and honor and love the name the name of Jesus, our great shepherd. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Why don't you take a Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 28. If you're using the church Bible, that will be on page 588. And uh, let me remind those of you who have been here the past couple Sundays, let me fill you in if you've not been here, that we are taking a look these Sunday mornings on a series of pictures of Jesus, who he is, what he's like, taking a look at some pictures of Jesus, not in the Gospels, which is where you would normally go to look at Jesus, but in the book of Isaiah, the fifth Gospel, so to speak, a, a, a set of prophecies written sometime between, different ones, between 750 and 700 B.C., predicting, telling us about the coming Christ, the Messiah Jesus, as we know him today. And today's prophecy, or today's picture, is uh, brief, but it is beautiful. It is a short description of Jesus in verse 16 of chapter 28. Let me read to you that short description. Behold, God says, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Now, there's a picture. It's really short. In the original, it's only 13 words long. Uh, To give you a point of comparison, last week I spoke on Isaiah 11. And in that text, the description, the picture of Jesus is about a hundred words long. This one's only 13 words long. It is short, but it is, it is vivid, and the picture that it is painting is unforgettably beautiful, a clear and a simple picture. A lot like the picture that Jesus painted at the end of his uh, great Sermon on the Mount, where he talked about people who might choose to build their house on sand. He said, when you do that, And the rains come and the floods pour through. That house is going to collapse. But if you build your house on the rock, when the rains come and the floods pour through, that house is not going to be shaken. It will stand. It's the same sort of picture here. Here, God is laying down a foundation. A Stone, a strong and secure stone, a proven and tested stone. And God is saying, you can build your life on it. You can. And your life will be like that that house built on the rock when the storms and the floods and the disasters and the fears and the uncertainties come. They'll, They'll pour around and through, but you will not be shaken. That's the picture that's being painted here. 
Peter and Paul quote this verse in the New Testament. And they both tell us that Jesus is the rock. He's the tested stone. He's the precious cornerstone. He's the sure foundation. This is a picture of Jesus. Brief, beautiful, and well-timed. Back then, these words were delivered in a time of great uncertainty, of foreboding. Something bad, in their case, a vicious country to the north, Assyria was on the horizon. It was powerful. And people were frightened by this country. They were worried. Here's a capture of the kind of thoughts they would have been thinking. It's coming. Sometime. Who knows what's going to happen. But things are going to change. Sounds a lot like coronavirus. Uncertainty. Fear, anxiety. I'm going to be talking about uncertainty today and the fear and the anxiety that go with it. Let me say right up front, let me make a a sidebar, but a very important sidebar. Speak to those here who struggle with anxiety disorder, panic attacks. This, in this sermon, as I talk about fear and anxiety, I'm talking about uh, common forms of those things. If you struggle with anxiety disorder, panic attacks, I mean, hear this sermon, but, but take it in light of what your supportive community, the people who are around you, helping you, standing with you, counseling you, advising you. Process it with them. the general level, having said that, it is frightening to live with uncertainty. It's frightening to live with the uncertainties of the coronavirus. I mean, this past week, a small bottle of Purell, small bottle of Purell was sold on eBay for $149. A movie, a a blockbuster movie, as they anticipate, the next James Bond movie, was to be released. And they've postponed the release until December because they don't want to have it shown to empty theaters. Those, hey, I don't drink beer. If you want to drink beer, that's fine. That's, That's good, okay? But there's a beer called Corona. Okay, I'm serious. Corona beer. And the company has had to issue a statement. There is no link between our beer and this virus. Living well with uncertainty is hard. But with Christ as a sure foundation, by the grace of God, you and I, can do it. We can do it differently. That's what this text is going to teach us. Let me read the whole text, verses 14 to 16. All right? 
Isaiah says. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, you who rule this people in Jerusalem. Because you've said, we've made a covenant with death and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we've made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, because you're saying that, therefore, thus says the Lord God to you. Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. This is the word of God. So living well with uncertainty is hard. A couple weeks ago, I came upon a story of a pastor down in D.C., Mark Batterson. Some of you may know that name. And he tells this crazy story about driving with uncertainty. And my background, my family was in the car business. And so I've, I, I just, when I hear about driving on cars and that kind of stuff, I just think driving is just a great metaphor for living. I'm convinced that if Solomon were alive today and he wrote the book of Proverbs, rather than talking about walking, he'd be talking about driving. All right. So anyway, my ears perk up when I, uh, when I, when I hear a story like this. Batterson, the pastor, and his family, they were in Orlando for a vacation. And here's what he writes. One morning we were sitting at a stoplight in our rental van. The light turned green and the car in front of us didn't go. So I decided to give them a little love tap on the horn. You can tell what area of the country he's from, the Northeast, right? But when I tapped the horn, it got jammed and I couldn't turn the horn off. The poor people in front of us, they must have thought that I was a raging lunatic. I quickly pulled into a gas station. Everybody was staring at us. We were so embarrassed. Fortunately, the horn stopped when I turned the van on, off. So I started the van back up and we got onto the highway. But then about two minutes down the road, the horn started to honk again. So here we were driving down the highway at 70 miles an hour, blaring our horn at everybody and their brother. I'm not sure what people were thinking, but it felt like we were screaming, hey, get out of my lane. I own this highway. I honestly didn't know what to do. Malfunctioning horns were not covered in my driver's ed class. So I did what I do. Whenever anything is broken, I hit it. I just kept hitting the horn. And it actually would stop honking for a couple seconds. And then it would start up again. That 15-minute ride ranks as one of the most chaotic driving experiences of my entire adult life. And what made it hard was the uncertainty not knowing what was going to happen, not knowing what to do. Well, I think that's a great definition of uncertainty. Not knowing what's going to happen. 
and not knowing what to do. Life is filled with uncertainties. The people in the Bible dealt with uncertainties all the time. Before I take you to Isaiah, let me take you back to the book of Genesis, to the story of Abraham and Sarah. God gave to Abram and, Abram and Sarah a promise, a promise that they were going to have a baby, that that baby, through that baby, the entire world would be blessed. This is the background for the universal blessing offered by the Messiah, Jesus, descendant of Abraham. God gave that promise. The problem was, God, when he gave the promise, he did not give to Abraham and Sarah a timetable, a schedule, a date. So, Abraham was about 75 years old when he got that promise. He and Sarah waited, and they waited, and they waited year after year. And finally, after 12 years of waiting, 12 years, Abraham and Sarah came up with plan B. A plan which was by the legal and social conventions of the time was the thing you should do. But it was plan B. It was not plan A. It was not God's plan. It was their substitute. Abraham had sexual relations with Sarah's servant, Hagar. And Hagar gave birth to a child, a boy, Ishmael. But Ishmael was not God's promise. Isaac, who came 12 years after Ishmael, so another 12 years, like 24, 25 years after the promise. Isaac, who came through Sarah, was God's promise. That was plan A. But for the rest of their lives, Abraham and Sarah regretted and paid the price of plan B. They did not live well with uncertainty. I want us to live well with uncertainty. The uncertainties of the coronavirus, the uncertainties of human reaction to it, the uncertainties about, in light of the virus, of uncertainties about work, school, financial markets, the security of your job. Some of you may be facing personal uncertainties. You've got the, the broad social uncertainties. You've got your own uncertainties. And then you come here on a Sunday and there are the uncertainties about pastoral transition this year. We are living in the midst of all kinds of uncertainties. Isaiah 28, 14 through 16, and its beautiful, brief picture of Jesus gives us three, three wonderful pieces of advice, three, three pieces of God-centered guidance on how to live well with uncertainty. First piece of guidance is in verse 14. Let's be honest about how our souls are doing with the uncertainty. Look at the text, verse 14. Isaiah says, Therefore, he's talking to the rulers in Jerusalem, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule as people in Israel. You scoffers? Well, I, 
That gets a little bit of attention, that word. That word, in the Old Testament, there are different words that would be used to describe the wicked. This one is the strongest negative term in the Old Testament about the wicked. And Isaiah is saying that to the rulers, people who, it seems, were in his social circles. It seems that he was born into some sort of well-educated ruling family. He's telling his friends, you're scoffers, spiritually ungodly. I mean, they looked at God's wisdom through Isaiah and they rejected it. They cast it off. They, they scoffed at God, so to speak. Now, these leaders had a very real problem, very real problem. They were trapped in uncertainty. This section here in Isaiah probably dates from around 730 BC. And as I've already said, a huge, powerful nation up to the north, Assyria, had like complete domination of the area. And Assyria was in the business of destroying nations, coming in and just destroying them. That's why in verse 15, if you look at the text, in verse 15, you see Isaiah talk about the overwhelming whip. That's Assyria. It's a whip, you know, it causes horrible personal pain, and it's overwhelming. You can't avoid it. When they come, it's going to happen to all of us. And in fact, in just a few years, few years after this prophecy, in 722 BC, Assyria would invade the northern kingdom, Samaria, and they would destroy it, just destroy it. So these rulers in Jerusalem, they're living in a time of foreboding, ominous uncertainty. And they're frightened. They're desperate. Isaiah's been giving them plan A. Plan A is trust in God. Trust in the Lord. He's much bigger than Assyria. He will handle this. Just trust in him. But at the human level, for these rulers, that was kind of cold comfort. And the nation to the south, Egypt, seemed like a pretty good plan B. Kind of like Hagar. Let's trust in Egypt. Let's make an alliance with Egypt. Let's let's get our security from Egypt. That was their plan. Now hear that. Let's trust in Egypt. Egypt. If you know the Old Testament, you know that centuries before this, Egypt Egypt was the, the, the master holding the Jews in slavery for centuries. So Egypt, to the mind of the Jew, I mean, that's, that's the last place you go for help. They, they dominated us and, and threatened us and wanted to wipe us out. And here you have these leaders, plan B, saying, let's trust Egypt. Let's trust Egypt? Really? Isaiah 31 verse 1 says this, Woe to those 
who go down to Egypt. I mean, Isaiah couldn't be plainer, but they don't listen to him. And so he takes them to task. He says, you've become scoffers. He's clear. He's straightforward. He's unambiguous about their hearts. So, how about you? In the midst of your current uncertainties, our current uncertainties, where is God in the lineup? He's just like a Sunday thing. When you get into the business of life, you know, Sunday afternoon through Saturday night, I said, it's other things, other trusts, other Egypts. Where is God in the lineup of the things that you're going to trust right now in all the uncertainties? Is he number one? Is he at the center? I mean, when you have him at the center, you can, you can act and choose and do with peace and in calm and not like it says in verse 15, not in haste, not kind of desperate and freaked out and panicked. How's your soul right now in the midst of these uncertainties? Be honest about that question before yourself, before God, before your faith, your, your faith circle, your small group, your loved one. That's the first bit of advice. Be honest about where you are. Second piece of guidance is verse 15. Let's, let's call out the false promises around us. Now, verse 15 is to me just a, a fascinating verse. There's a secret to it. You have to read verse 15 like you look in a mirror. You get used to this in looking in a mirror, but you, let me remind you, when you look in a mirror, things are flipped around. So when you look in a mirror, right is left and left is right. Okay. And from the way this verse begins, you'd expect Isaiah to be uh, quoting word for word what the rulers are saying. You know, he begins, because you, have, because you rulers have said. And then you'd expect him to quote what they're saying. But he flips it around. He makes right left and left right, so to speak. He pulls out of their statement some key words and replaces those words with his own evaluation of what those words are saying. So, to make the point, here's the sort of thing that the leaders were saying. We have made a covenant with Egypt. And so, with a powerful nation, we have an agreement. So, when Assyria, that overwhelming whip, passes through our land, it will not hurt us. Why? Well, because we've made Egypt our refuge. And in their promises, we have taken shelter. That's what they were saying. But Isaiah exposes the truth. He looks through all the doublespeak and the spin and the false promises, the false security that he grabbed onto. And he calls those, all those things what they are. He, you know, we have made a covenant with Egypt. No, no, no. You've made a covenant with death. We've made a covenant with a nation stronger than us. 
No, you made a covenant with Sheol, the grave. And when that whip seer passes through, will not come us come to us, for we have made lies, not Egypt's promises, lies our refuge. And in falsehood, we have taken shelter. Death, the grave, lies, falsehood. When you reject God and his guidance, when you take his statements, his truths in the word, his promises, and you push them aside, you flip them around, you make them what they're not saying, when you do that kind of stuff, you're, you're, you're trusting in death. You're trusting in the grave. You're trusting in falsehood and in lies. You're making a covenant with death. In uncertain times, temptation runs high. In uncertainty, we're all tempted to do things that we might not otherwise be tempted to do in periods of peace and calm. And in temptation, what we like to do is to flip things around and to say, well, you know, God says that, but you know, I think this is better. God would understand and I could get away with it. And Isaiah is saying, don't do it. You're trusting in falsehood. You're making a covenant with death. Don't do it. Let's call those false promises out. Let's have our own hearts do it. Let's have others speak into our lives and just call it out for what it is, like Isaiah does here. Third piece of guidance, verse 16. During these uncertain times, let's encourage each other to hold true to Christ and his word. I mean, we need verse 16 in a period of uncertainty like this. And we need this brief, beautiful description of Jesus. I mean, look, he's a, a stone. Isaiah goes on to kind of describe what that stone is. He's a tested stone. He's a precious cornerstone. He's a sure foundation. So in times of uncertainty, it sure helps to know that Jesus is a tested stone. He was tested before the Father. Here on earth, in his life, tested all the time by temptation, by scorn and ridicule, by a desire, a human desire for convenience and ease. Tested and tried all the time. And he always chose what the Father wanted, always. He's a tested stone. He's a tested stone. Millions of people, as a result of, of his being the, the sure and certain stone, millions of people in the past have trusted him and they've found him to be faithful in times of uncertainty. He's a tested stone again by all these people. Jesus has been tested and found true. So, follow him. Build your life on what he says. In times of uncertainty, 
It sure helps to know that Jesus is worth all the sacrifices and all the little deaths daily. I think that's what Isaiah is getting at when he says that he's a, Jesus is, is a precious cornerstone. He's worth every sacrifice. He's worth every obedience. He's worth your trust. He's worth it. John Stott says this. Jesus never lowered his standards or modified his conditions to make his call more readily acceptable. He asked his first disciples and he has asked every disciple since, including you, if you've trusted Christ and been born again, or his followers, he's asking you to give him your thoughtful and total commitment. Nothing less than this will do. And he's worth it. Totally worth it. He's also the sure foundation. In times of uncertainty, it sure helps to know that Jesus can bear the weight of your life. He's a sure foundation. He he can carry the load. He will not crack. He will not split. He will not crumble. He will not get, get washed away in the floods of uncertainty. He will stand, and you will stand by his grace. Look at the very last statement of the verse. It reads, whoever believes will not be in haste. We'll kind of update that to New Testament. Whoever believes in Jesus, the sure foundation. Whoever believes in Jesus will not be in haste. Now, if you look at the statement, you'll notice that it's in little quotes. And that's because in this picture of Jesus as the cornerstone, you've got the cornerstone, and they did back then what we do today. On cornerstones, they would often put carved inscriptions, statements. And what you have here is the statement written on the cornerstone, so to speak. Whoever believes in this cornerstone, whoever believes in Jesus will not be in haste, won't have to run around, freak out, desperately try to cobble together some, some sort of plan of security with Egypt. You won't have to do that. It's interesting the way that Peter and Paul, when they quote this verse in the New Testament, that they change the, the wording a little, just a little bit to catch kind of in a different way what's being said here. They quote it this way. Whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. In other words, uh, they will not be shown to be a fool. If you choose, I hope you do, to build your life on Jesus as a sure foundation, you will not be shown to be a fool at the end of your life. Be worth every sacrifice, every choice, every obedience. Because it's the wise person, putting this in Jesus' terms, it's the wise person who builds his house upon the rock, upon Jesus. The sure foundation, the tested stone, the precious cornerstone who builds his house upon that rock, even, even in uncertain times. Behold, God says, I am the one, I'm the one, who has laid as a foundation in Zion, my Messiah, 
Jesus of Nazareth. A stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And if you believe in him, if you build your life on his word, you will not be ashamed. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father, I praise you and thank you that you have placed the resurrected Lord Jesus, a tested stone, as the precious cornerstone of the whole church, tested in crucifixion, vindicated in resurrection. He is the cornerstone. I'm grateful that before the beginning of of time, you, Father, Son, and Spirit, decided to send your one and only Son to earth to reveal your grace and your truth, that he would lay down his life for sinners. And I praise you that the tested stone has all the power and ability and understanding to be the strongest, the central part of the church's foundation. I thank you that Jesus has endured all kinds of trials and temptations and attacks and burdens, and he was always faithful and always victorious. Hallelujah. Jesus never fails, never falters. So I pray for us. We want to be faithful in our times of testing too. We repent for not trusting Jesus when we've been tested. I pray, help us, help me, help all my brothers and sisters here to know much more of who Jesus is, of who that tested stone is, so that we will become wholeheartedly dependent upon him in these uncertain times. I pray that you will prepare us to be faithful in times of uncertainty and that you will use us to demonstrate radically the character of Jesus the Messiah and his faithfulness to people around us who are hopeless without him. And I pray these things in the tested and in the secure and certain name of Jesus. Amen.